Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Our top story this week is a sad one, the unexpected death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, announced on Saturday by the Court's Chief Justice, John Roberts. Scalia made a huge impression on me in my days as a uh, young, fire-breathing conservative. He and Ronald Reagan were really my two sort of pole stars. And while my ideology has shifted over the years, I never lost my deep respect for Justice Scalia's intelligence or my my love for his witty, sarcastic dissent, some of which actually made me laugh out loud. I'm I'm really going to miss him. And I'm sure you feel very much the same way, Jay. Very, yeah, very much uh, the same. There's, there aren't that many um, real public intellectuals, uh, you know, that we have in our society. And, and while many people disagreed with him and, and uh, didn't like him, Scalia, I think, fit that bill uh, of, of being sort of a, um, an intellectual leader um, that, that, you know, he's, he, he expressed his, his things. And we, these, these are things we talked about on one uh, show, I think, you know, a year or so ago, um, the witty, the sarcastic, uh, but he was able to uh, make his dissents, make his, his majority opinions very understandable uh, to everybody. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, cloaked in legalese. Uh, it was, he was able to boil that, that philosophy of uh, judicial conservatism, uh, judicial restraint, uh, and, and make it very appealing and, and uh, resonant with, with the public. You know, and, and, and while many people who didn't know him, people on the left, uh, thoroughly disliked, hate wouldn't be too strong of a word, uh, the people on the left who did know him, uh, his, his colleagues on the court, uh, didn't feel that way at all. And one of his best friends on the court was was Justice Ginsburg, who he couldn't be perhaps more ideologically different from. Uh, uh, he he was he, he just had a, a zest, a, a love of life, a, kind of a happy warrior type of person who I think, uh, you know, even though, again, on a, a lot of policy positions, I came to disagree with them, exemplifies a lot of what I admire so much and what drew me to politics in the first place. Yeah. And, and he was someone who also... Um was able to express um, the the idea, and I, I posted something about this on a Facebook page the other day, uh, small r republicanism. Uh, and and that's, that's something we talk about occasionally on the show, and, and I think it's, it's something you and I really agree on. Um, and that is that, that we are a, a republic, and there's a certain um, humility that goes with it, a certain disdain for demagoguery, uh, a certain uh, sense of, of uh, that they're everything, the things ought to be, it's, it's sort of based on sort of a classical liberalism sense of uh, balance, uh, you know, separation of powers and balance of, of powers and so forth. And um, he, he exemplified that and spoke to that. Uh, and again, so, so many people, if they don't, if they don't really read his stuff, if they don't follow his stuff and you just see him as here's this ideological figure, 
um, he opposes gay marriage, so he must hate gays, or or, or something like that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's that's so simplistic, and and really didn't doesn't give credit to where he was. Uh, I, I think what what it showed was he he valued the Constitution, he valued the process uh, over any particular outcome, uh, and I think that's what you know uh, certainly uh, most conservatives would 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 look for in a, in a uh, justice, um, but it's it's something that that, you know, goes deeper and, and, you know, more American, um, you know, even back to someone who, who would, you'd say would be ideologically different, say like an Oliver Wendell Holmes. Um, there was, there was certainly a sense of, if, if not, because I, I was thinking about this last night, uh, not legislative supremacy, because he, he very much would have been opposed to that, but a sense of legislative primacy. Sure. Uh, that, that that's, you know, the, the people express their voice best through the legislature, uh, you know, distrustful of, of executive power um, and, and willing to, to let, you know, let the people, let the legislature make its own mistakes yeah. uh, rather than have uh, an unelected group correct them. Yeah, I think probably one of the, the best statements of that came in his uh, dissent in Morrison versus Olson, which is a very important Supreme Court case where he wrote, Evidently, the governing standard is to be what might be called the unfettered wisdom of a majority of this court revealed to an obedient people on a case-by-case basis. And right there, I think, exemplifies so much of what Scalia was about. Uh, the, the wit, the, the, the sarcasm, the strong belief that the court should, shouldn't take that that primary role shouldn't, you know, legislate from the bench. And, and, and so again, love him or hate him, agree or disagree with him. He was a great man. And uh, I think his absence will be, will be deeply felt. So moving on from that, well, let's talk about what this means going forward. Now already uh, President Obama has announced that he will put forward a name. We don't know what that, who that person will be. And already uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, has said essentially that he doesn't really have much intent to uh, to go ahead with, uh, w- with confirmation before the presidential election is over and there's a new president. So right. w- what do you think about that, Jay? Well, just in case our listeners are curious, I, I haven't received any phone calls uh, from the Obama administration, um, you know, as far as uh, uh, stepping up, and I expect I won't. Neither have <laughs> I, and we should point out that there is no actual qualification listed in the Constitution or elsewhere to be a Supreme Court justice. You just essentially have to be selected by the, nominated by the president, and confirmed by the Senate. So it could be Correct. anyone. Correct. You, you don't you need don't a have, JD. You don't, you don't have to be a, a lawyer. Um, I nope. think law degree is preferred. Yeah, but uh, generally speaking, <laughs> but but yeah, uh, it for, could be anyone. For example, I think Roger Roger Taney, um uh, our, our longest serving uh, chief justice or maybe longest serving justice ever uh, was not a lawyer um, and, and sort of infamously. So, yes. uh, you know, but, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, who to thunk. I very much expect that whoever he nominates, <laughs> obviously will, will be a lawyer with uh, an yes. Ivy league uh, pedigree. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, whether that person comes from um, academia, uh, you know, which has been sort of the more traditional route recently, um, will be something to be uh, to be seen, or or from you know a, a lower uh, a lower appellate bench. But but not that it, not that it seems like it's going to matter. I mean, it seems like the Republicans are pretty much coming out and saying we don't care who you nominate. 
we're going to just essentially wait for the next president in the hope that we have a Republican uh, Republican or else. Now, Mitch McConnell being, I think, somewhat hypocritical, saying, well, you know, uh, it should be the choice of the American people and the next president, some kind of a mandate or whatever you want to call it. But of course, when the time came in the last year of uh, another presidency, Ronald Reagan's presidency, he was all too happy to vote with every other senator to confirm uh, to, to confirm uh, Justice, uh, who was it? Justice Kennedy? Kennedy. Was it? Justice yeah. Kennedy. So, how'd that, how'd that work out? Well, you know, um, yeah, uh, good point. <laughs> no, but well, I think, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, argue the historical exception, though. Also, the Kennedy vacancy didn't occur, or the vacancy that Kennedy filled uh, didn't occur in the last year uh, of the of the term, right before the election. Uh, it was a matter of that was the situation where the vacancy had occurred the year prior, and uh, Bork had been uh, uh, borked. As, as the word word became, um, so it, it's it's a matter of, uh, in that case, the the vacancy had been out there for a while. It's not that uh, Reagan was trying to get someone in in his last, uh, uh, you know, couple months. The the vacancy had been before, and the Democrats stopped stopped him from putting in uh, who he wanted to put in. Um, but no, I, I, look, I think this is this is one of these interesting sort of. Uh, questions of um, separation of powers. Uh, the president gets to nominate, but the Senate has to um, accept that that nomination. Um, and it seems, so, well, it seems you know, there, like that's where we are now. Again, now, uh, theoretically, Obama could find somebody uh, who might be acceptable to the Senate. Uh, realistically, that, <laughs> yeah. that obviously that that will never happen. Um, Quite honestly, it's and so and so essentially, if and, a if a Republican nominee it would, it might might have difficulty uh, finding someone who is uh, at, at least at first blush acceptable to the Senate, but but the process of uh, of finding a new Supreme Court justice, uh, it's it's difficult and it's lengthy and it's it's a little bit like picking a pope. Um, it didn't used to be that way, though. Again, yeah. I, it it didn't. I mean, this is a this is a more a, a far more recent sort of phenomenon, and it looks like now what we're going to see it's is sort this of is, since it's sort of post Bork is, yeah. is when it sort of the line I think happened is probably that mid eighties. But but now it looks like we're going to have a situation very possibly where we're going to go the longest period in history without a full court, uh, more than a year, quite possibly, without a full complement of justices on the court, and that's that that's a fairly big deal, wouldn't eh. you say? Eh. You don't think that matters that there's going to be? <laughs> no, I mean, I, there's going to be. I mean, it, it, it matters. I think but, it matters uh, for a lot of cases. For instance, there's, there's a you know there's there's a big there's a big union case that the court had heard, uh, uh, Frederick right, the versus California, California and yeah. that was almost certainly going to be a win for the conservative side and a big loss for the unions. And now it looks like that is going to be much more likely that the lower court the decision is going to, or the previous decision is going to be upheld, which that's a big, that's a big non-loss, I guess you could say for, for the unions in this case. And there are going to be other cases like that. So, you know. Well, uh, there's, keep in mind that the court can sort of set its own schedule. Uh, there's, there are also plenty of cases that are heard with, uh, without all nine justices. Um, uh, I believe uh, Justice Kagan um, recused herself from several cases mm-hmm. last year, based to be just because she had a conflict because she had served in the solicitor's office when those cases were in the lower right. courts. Um, you know, and and that happens. You have justices who have uh, uh, conflicts that step aside. 
And like we say a lot of times, so many of the court's decisions that aren't these big social hot hot button issues, um, you know, aren't a device of five four majority. They're they're sort of you know, many times unanimous or many times just split uh, up, up among other other sort of coalitions. Um, so, no, I mean, is it, is it is it a less than ideal that uh, we wouldn't have um, uh, nine justices for for uh, through this next term? Probably. Um, is it, you know, somehow a, a danger to the republic or something well, like no, that no no, no. i mean it's... But, but i think i think in the end president obama has a responsibility to find a qualified candidate a candidate he feels is qualified nominate that person which he said he will do and i think then the senate judiciary committee has a responsibility to to seriously consider that candidate and then the senate has you know uh, also has a responsibility to to vote on that candidate, and I, I think it would be a dereliction of their duty, the Senate, to to not go ahead and do that, and to just simply stonewall. If you want to accept or reject the candidate on the merits, that's that's perfectly fine. You know, that's how the process works. But this idea, this made-up BS idea that President Obama somehow doesn't have the right to nominate someone or can't, you know, can't get their can't get his candidate to have a hearing because he's in his last year. That's just a ridiculous thing that some Republicans are making up because they don't want a Repub- they don't want a Democrat nominating a, a justice. Oh, I, I I think you're I think you're overstating it a little bit there. I, it's it's this is this is part of the game and this is what you would expect. I mean, yes, Mitch McConnell will say that. Yes, President Obama will nominate someone. Uh, the person will go, uh, if, if quite honestly, if, if I'm a Republican, um, and I am, uh, but if I'm a Republican senator, which I'm not, uh, I, I would absolutely welcome the whole idea in coming, leading up to a presidential election of Obama nominating someone and getting to have some hearings on that. Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, talk about, uh, you know, firing up the base. Yeah, I think um, in the end, and I want to... So, so, so to me, I mean... McConnell statements of we're not we you know President Obama shouldn't do anything. That's that's sort of a statement of saying, um, you know, hey, look, if Obama if Obama had, if Obama had any class at all, um, you know, under Scalia's memory, and sort of step back. Yeah. Um, and knowing that Obama won't and can't and and I'll, I'll be honest, shouldn't do that. Uh, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's incumbent upon the president uh, to make a nomination, and I think it's incumbent upon the Senate. Uh, to consider that nomination, whether whether the Senate has to vote on that nomination, I, I differ with you there um, for just on, on a, a number of reasons, because there's so many things that, uh, that the Senate just doesn't vote on. And that's that's the way you you decline things, if you follow me. I mean, in, in the legislative in the legislative world you typically only vote on things that are going to pass. Well, well I disagree kind of... with that entirely. I think that all the candidates that the president nominates deserve an up or down vote on the floor, and I hope that happens. But, but you know, in, in terms of who this helps politically, I think this definitely helps the Republicans politically going into the presidential election. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it. this has sort of been, you know, rumbled and, you know, earlier about – you know what the most important thing about the next presidential election is Supreme Court picks. Uh, this this brings it home and uh, you know puts that urgency right out in front of you. So. Yeah, it would have been a very different thing if a liberal justice had had died. 
then it right. would have been an advantage to the Democrats all of a sudden because now the but now it's the case where the Republicans have a good chance of of losing their conservative majority on the court with and and you know certainly they're going to make sure that doesn't happen but it definitely drives home the point that the next president's going to have a huge you know uh, going to make a huge impact on the court and now even more reason for republicans to get out and ensure that Hillary Clinton doesn't win the election so that she can't appoint uh, a liberal to the court who would be the fifth like, member <laughs> like whoever this person that Obama is going to appoint and sure, now, yeah now and again i it, it would be fascinating if Obama appointed someone who was very, or so who was very much uh, nominated someone, I guess, uh, who is very middle of the road or very um, would be acceptable somehow to conservatives. I've heard like Susan Collins, Olympia Snow, you know, kind of those uh, moderate Republican type people. That would be a, yeah. a bull. I don't think that any of that would actually happen. My, I mean, but... my concern, my concern there is, is, I guess, sort of like. It, I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't. I've never I've never met Susan Collins or Olympia Snow personally or talked to them. Lovely ladies, I'm of, sure. Yeah. But but no, but it's in the sense of intellectual lightweights. Uh, well, we've never had one of those on the court, huh? Yeah. Um, well, no, but certainly in comparison to to someone like Scalia. Sure. Oh, well, yeah. Um, anyone pretty much is going to. You know, uh, if you were to ask, in comparison. Uh, you know, Olympia Snow or Susan Collins on on some, and maybe maybe I'm not being fair to them again because I haven't really looked at what they've said specifically on this this topic but you know explain your judicial philosophy or you know where do you see the courts fitting in and in our society and views of natural law and things like that i mean i think you get the huh you know but uh you know that i i guess i guess the, the thing is i don't think obama will do that um right no i agree because it's just it's just sort of against his nature yeah. You know what I mean? yeah, no, he doesn't do that kind of crazy sort of thing. Yeah, I, I agree. So, so yeah, definitely something that's going to be big news. I'm sure we're going to be talking an awful lot about this in, in upcoming episodes of the show. Yeah. But but for now, uh, let's move on to uh, some other of the major things that have happened this week. Uh, we were going to start off before the, the horrible news about Justice Scalia. We were going to start off by, by talking about New Hampshire. Uh, our predictions were, well – uh, a little bit off. You were a little closer than I was there, but uh, I was. And, and you know what? This is I'm kicking myself because last week when we made the predictions. My gut was telling me to say go with Kasich coming in second, mm-hmm. uh, but I doubted myself because I thought no. I'm I just I sort of figure I I consume too much Ohio, uh, right? You know, pro Kasich. Sure. I mean, I'm just sort of you know in that that milieu there and. Uh, Ooh, good word. Yeah, I, and I thought, um, no, I'm, I'm probably overestimating it because of yeah. overestimating his chances, just because of the information that that I'm looking at every day, uh, and the people I talk to. Um, but I should have, I should have followed yeah. my gut, and uh, that was that was exciting and impressing. So. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, and so where we are in terms of delegates now, uh, Trump came away with ten delegates from his. Big win, his huge, huge win. Huge. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and then Kasich had four, and then three each for Cruz, Rubio, and Bush. And so, if we pull back and look at the overall delegate totals on the Republican side at this very, very early point, we have Trump with seventeen, Cruz with eleven, Rubio with ten, Kasich five, Bush four, and Carson three. And you need, uh, I mentioned this last week, one thousand two hundred and thirty-seven to win the nomination. So there's a yep. long long way to go. Now, for, for some people who are really concerned about the Donald Trump phenomenon, I, I wanted to point out there's there's a maybe more optimistic way to look at this. Trump got 35.4% of the vote, 
totally destroying the second place candidate, John Kasich. But if you take a look at Trump versus the non-Trump, what I call non-crazy Republican candidates, the non-Trump, non-crazy Republican candidates got 48.7% of the vote. And so again, I go back to my belief that as people drop out, as they have been doing, now we're down to six, I believe it is, uh, that that non-Trump vote is going to consolidate in those candidates because Trump has a kind of a hard and low ceiling at right around where he's at now. It's not like people are going to move to Trump. He's right, got pretty right. much all the support he's going to get. And so I still think that it's it, Trump is not likely to be the nominee. Uh, and and I, you know, I, I still think it's going to be someone like Rubio. Some people are talking about Bush now. I don't really see that happening. But uh, and certainly not Kasich. I don't know. What, what, what do you think on the Republican side there, Jay? Oh, no, I, I agree. And I have agreed for those very same reasons uh, that, that since the Trump candidacy was announced, he he uh, polls really poorly uh, among Republicans. <laughs> you know, again, it's sort of in the likability. Very high negatives, that, yeah. Yeah. So you're not going to see much crossover. You can, certainly can see some crossover between the governors um, and uh, some crossover to, to Cruz. Um, although, although Trump, in, in, I, I heard last week, in, in sort of a bizarre bid to kind of pick up um, some evangelical votes as, as the campaign moves south, uh, said that his favorite book was the Bible. Really, um, I find that I find that so hard to believe. His favorite book is obviously the Art of the Deal, right? I mean, right, exactly. <laughs> followed exactly. by the Bible. You know, at, maybe at all major booksellers and on Amazon. Um, you no, know, I mean, I think so many evangelicals who I know wouldn't say their favorite book is the Bible. Um, you know, it's just such a it's such a bizarre. It's a good thing. book, but it drags in places. You know, exactly. So. There's there's a whole lots of begats and that just go on for pages and pages. Um, and it's repetitive, you know, especially the newer right. part. They're telling the same stories, and really, anyway. Yes, yeah. Uh, but so, so anyway, I, I, it just it just seems so uh, uh, blatantly uh, sort of cynical, and I, I think that's gonna. I don't want to say that's gonna hurt him, but it's just sort of the a little bit of the flat footedness, uh, you know, in the sense to get that he, he thinks he can say something like this, and, yeah. and people would believe it. The other thing that, that's starting to happen. Uh, that you didn't see before is some of the other Republicans are starting to cut commercials and, and really take shots at Trump. Um, I think what's been happening up to now was there was always the assumption that Trump was just going to sort of collapse under his own weight. So it's just a matter of positioning yourself in, in second. Uh, you know, therefore you have the uh, Christie going after Rubio and right. uh, so forth. And, and rather, you know, because it, it just seemed that, for most of these in the what we'll call the establishment lane, what's the advantage of going after Trump? Yeah, um, there is none. It, it's it's just to become whoever is going to be the heir of that 70% we just talked about uh, to get out in front of that uh, rather than trying to cut into Trump's, uh, you know, 25, 30%. But, uh, but it's not surprising, get the stories that we're getting, because the media needs to promote this as this big Armageddon type of thing, essentially. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that that same narrative that you and I have been talking about, about how when, you know, more candidates drop out, that the what we think is almost inevitable is going to happen is that they're going to just pull in all that support. But that's not a really exciting story. It's a lot more. Well, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, nothing's ever inevitable. Well, not inevitable. No, no. It's much more, right. more likely. But, more likely, but, yeah. But, you know, I think as the as the uh, the non-Trump field starts to coalesce, you're going to see more of that money spent as opposed, as opposed to the, the internecine wars between the, the establishment candidates. 
uh, being directed at negatives against Trump. Yeah. And and, and, and once that starts coming out, uh, you know, the novelty starts starts to wear off. Yeah. And I do think there's throughout the whole Trump phenomenon, it's it's been a novelty factor. It's the, here's the guy who can come in and, and uh, say whatever the hell he wants and who the hell cares. And uh, no, I mean, it's it's fun for a while. And I've I've said myself, it's it's entertaining. And there are there are facets of the Trump campaign that uh, I, I think have, have given the Republican Party a, a much needed kick in the butt. So, yeah, you, know. you know, I'm actually, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, I'm actually reevaluating Donald Trump a little bit. I've been doing a lot more thinking and, and, and reading about him and, and listening to, to some of his policy positions. And I, I want to say, I think he's totally wrong on immigration. I think he's totally wrong on trade. And I have huge concerns about his temperament, especially his essentially complete and utter inability to publicly admit a mistake. Mm -hmm. But I think I watched the debate last night. I think he's absolutely right on the rock. And he's the only Republican who's saying that, uh, that idea that George W. Bush kept us safe or that, you know, the war in Iraq was a good idea. I think, you know, uh, totally, I totally agree with Trump on that. And I think that on a lot of other domestic policy issues, he's probably the least Republican Republican in the entire pack. And, right. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and I is, mean, that's you're saying that's why you like him. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not a Republican, <laughs> you know, and so essentially, I mean, if it came down to like a Donald Trump or a Ted Cruz, that's an easy choice for me in a, in, wow. a, in a sense, I think, because Ted Cruz is an ideologue. And I think Donald Trump is much more pragmatic. And, you know, someone made a, I read an article just last week that really kind of gave me a different perspective. They said, you know, a lot of the things that people are saying about Donald Trump now, they were saying about another totally unqualified person back in the early 2000s, and that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Schwarzenegger right. came in with no experience, had all these big plans, was saying crazy stuff, was a kind of a vulgar sort of guy. And, also sort of a goofy accent. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and he came in, and what happened? Well, he crashed and burned initially. But then all of a sudden when he realized stuff wasn't – he couldn't get anything done with the California legislature, he became more pragmatic. He changed his tack and he actually did a lot of things. And I'm not saying that Donald Trump is the next Arnold Schwarzenegger just on a national level. All I'm saying is that maybe there's something <laughs> well, there. That's really that's really sort of damning with faint praise. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, but, but, no, but, but I really he think – may almost be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or the next Jesse Ventura. Um you know, it's so I guess I, I guess that what I'm saying is that, you know, I, I think there's a there's a case to be made that no, I, I, I'm not going to say there's a case to be made for Trump. I'm just saying that Trump is less awful than maybe I thought he was initially, as long as you're not an immigrant, uh, you know, essentially. So. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I watched the debate. Wow, you're, you're just all over the place. Last week, you were like full on socialist feeling the burn. And, and now you're. You're flipping over to the, the populist. Well, no, not, uh, not really, if you think you know. about it, because I'm saying that I'm, I'm kind of a little <clears> more <throat> supportive of the least Republican Republican in the Republican primary. All right. So, you know, I think that's, you know, I think that's reasonable. All right. I'll so, give you consistency points there. So, yeah, you know, uh, but I, I mean, I think pretty clearly what's going to happen in the next big contest for Republicans at South Carolina on Saturday, February 20th. Now, South Carolina is a big deal. There are 50 delegates up for grabs, which is as much as Iowa and New Hampshire combined. And I think no one doubts that this is going to be another big Trump win. Uh, and, and I mean, do you doubt that? Um, yeah, I, I do. I do doubt okay, that. Okay, well, let, let's, let's go into that. In fact, um, I'll, I'll, start with, I'll start with my prediction. 
I okay. think Trump's going to win by 15% over Cruz. I think Rubio's going to finish in third just ahead of Bush. That's my pick. What do you think? I, I say it's it's uh, close, right? I think Trump still wins, but it's maybe more of like a 5% margin. Wow. Okay. Um, over just who? because, no, I, I think, I think uh, Trump will not play well to evangelicals. Okay. Uh, I, I really think that he's going to be hurt there. Uh, I think when you get into places like South Carolina, you're also getting into places where there is more um, typical party organization. There's more. Um, it, it's less the, the free for all that you have in sort of Iowa and uh, New Hampshire. And so many of the other South Carolina Republicans have been lining up uh, behind people who are not Trump. Uh, Rubio's done really pretty well picking up the endorsements. Uh, Bush again, I think is is that the old name. I, th- I think he'll he'll do he'll do okay there. Um, so who do you think second? Who comes in second? I think Cruz is still probably second with okay. Rubio close behind, uh, followed by Bush Kasich. I, I I don't think Kasich's done a lot in South Carolina. No. I don't I don't think that um, he's just doesn't have the name ID. I don't think he's had the money to spend down there. Uh, he sort of put everything into uh, New Hampshire, yeah. and from what I, from what I see, the rest of the strategy is more focusing on these these sort of Midwest uh, or, or industrial states, uh, you know, like like in Ohio, where where Kasich has has his message again. I think resonates right. better in those. The idea places. to just kind of survive through some of these states and <clears throat> right. have, hang, yeah, hang in there. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, uh, I don't know if he's going to be the next one to drop out. Maybe he will hang in there for a while, but uh, I, I would expect that. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't even want to think from Ben Carson anymore. So not that he's really a factor anymore, but uh, I would, I was going to say, I think he'd be the next one to drop out, but who knows with Ben Carson? I don't know. But uh, anyway. Right. And it, it could be Ben, ben Carson could, could still stay in, but but you know have absolutely no money and not campaign yeah. and just sort of have his name on the ballot, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, let's let's uh, move on, move over to the Democrats because there was certainly a lot a lot going on there. Uh, obviously, there was a uh, a major not a major upset there, but a huge victory for Bernie Sanders, uh, which you, I predicted. You you predicted twenty Almost to the number, twenty yeah. points, and you got me to move my prediction up from twelve to fifteen, and I should have gone right with you because Sanders won by slightly over twenty percent. Right. I mean that was right. that was really huge, and it's like it was like Price is Right rules closest without going over. So but, I, I I totally got that. And you know the the thing is is that this big win, so this gives Bernie Sanders fifteen delegates. Clinton got nine. But because so many of the Democratic superdelegates have committed to Clinton, the, the score right now is Clinton 394, Sanders 44, even though she's 0-2 going up against him. Right. And I'll take the cheap opportunity to, to ask you to try to justify how that works with, with the party that is, is habitually uh, out claiming that uh, people are being disenfranchised and people don't have the right to vote and uh, we need to challenge all these voter ID laws and so forth. Um, that that you have superdelegates, which essentially means that, for in large part, the election results don't really matter all that much. 
Well, I think, you know, it was a it was a reaction to a reaction, as someone said, that the Democrats initially really opened up their process in the uh, in the early 70s and the Republicans followed there. But after that, the or in the late 60s, but after that, they nominated a couple of candidates who just got absolutely creamed. And so the superdelegate thing was a reaction to that to make sure that uh, and they, they played around with the formula a little bit right now. I believe it's around 20 percent of all the delegates are superdelegates. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually think it's a good idea, uh, but I could, I see your point. It's it's certainly less open, and, but I think it's going to help out the Democrats in the end here if Bernie Sanders' momentum continues. I don't think it's going to. That that's my I mean my prediction. Now the next big the next contest for the Democrats actually is the Nevada caucus. Right. which is the same day the Republicans vote in South Carolina, so this Saturday. And it's not a small thing. There are 43 delegates that are up for grabs, uh, you know, which is a, a little less than Iowa, but a lot more than New Hampshire. Uh, it's hard to know what's going to happen there because there's been essentially no polling. Uh, the one poll that has been taken in the last week has them tied, but the last poll before that was from December. So okay. who knows? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that Sanders wins that by 5%, but I honestly, I'm just, I'm just, it's not a whole lot more than a guess given there's not a whole lot of evidence there. I mean, you get, you get, I mean, Nevada certainly is less, I think he's going to have less of a big win because Nevada is a lot more racially diverse than the first two states. And that's where Bernie Sanders is really, I think, going to get hurt. So, uh, Nevada's racially diverse? Much more so than Iowa and New Hampshire. And South Carolina? No, no, South Carolina. <clears throat> South Carolina yeah. is next for that because right. the the right. cat. Okay. Uh, sorry, the South Carolina is even more racially diverse, right. obviously. Right. So, but South Carolina is uh, not till after that for the Democrats because the schedules aren't exactly the oh, gotcha, same. Gotcha, gotcha. No, okay, so. I, yeah. Um, I, you know, I my sense is, uh, and I, you know, I'll tell you, I really don't know much about Nevada. I will, I will tell our listeners that. Um, you don't, don't have to make. I don't want to. I don't want to make you Vegas, and it's all the Harry Reid, and and uh, my my sense is is there is a a sort of firm party structure there uh, when you've had someone like Harry Reid who's who's carried the the place for forever, uh, and that will carry over uh, in an era to uh, Clinton's benefit. Um, I don't think that the uh, sort of the, the crazy loud yelling New England guy. Uh, I also, I don't think Nevada has sort of like the, the college kid um, type demographics uh, that you can draw out in places like Iowa and New Hampshire that benefit um, <clears throat> Sanders. Uh, it's it's probably older, um, more retirees, and, and I think that that uh, plays to Clinton's advantage. So, so do you want to? So, you think Clinton will pull it out? I say, I say Clinton, Clinton by uh, five in Nevada. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, I think it's interesting. We can kind of finally see the the narrative really come into focus on this side and that uh, Hillary Clinton has basically focused on two points in arguing against Bernie Sanders. Point number one is he's totally unrealistic. And, you know, by Bernie Sanders' own calculations, his programs would increase government spending by somewhere around the, along the lines of $1.7 trillion annually. Which is, which is like a forty percent increase over today's federal budget. I mean, that's 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 enormous, right? So that, well, it's sort of like it's sort of like the two thousand eight surplus every year. Yeah. So I mean, that's 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 yeah. that's crazy. Well, that's what she's saying is that's crazy. But second thing she's saying is, uh, I I am President Obama's 
pick, essentially. I will continue Obama because, and the reason she keeps on mentioning it's Obama, Obama, Obama is because she knows the great love that minority minority Democrats have for President Obama, and she's counting on all those those voters to come on over to her and to stick with her. And so that's, you know, I think that's why Bernie Sanders is going to start to fade fairly quickly because it's going to be difficult, I think, for him to convince those voters to come into his camp because Bernie Sanders is essentially a, a one-issue candidate, really. I mean, right. and that's another thing that, that Clinton's saying is that all Bernie Sanders wants to talk about is the role of money, Wall Street on politics. Now, that's where last week you were right. I, w- I was feeling it because I believe fundamentally he's got a he's got a very strong point, but I don't think it's a way to win a I don't think it's a way to win the nomination in the long run. Well, and and I think that that message, um, the inequality, the uh, uh, and and wow, we can get in some some pretty deep deep water here with with that about which groups that resonates to, um, <clears throat> but it doesn't help him with uh, minorities. Um, for for numbers of, of, of reasons, uh, it plays great with uh, again the the college kids. Uh, it plays great with some of your white working class folks. I don't think it does um, uh, with with minority voters. And and again, Bernie Sanders comes from uh, New Hampshire and or New Hampshire, uh, Vermont. Um, One of those states it, up there with all the white people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and just there's there's the sense of, uh, I, you know, Bernie Sanders does not have that sort of connection either to to uh, the south and and uh, southern uh, blacks in, in, in the south or, um, uh, you know, the black experience in in larger cities, yeah. uh, you know, like like a, a Cleveland or a Detroit or a Chicago. Uh, and and Clinton has been been working that, you know, yeah, working and, and that so, demographic for you know throughout Bill's yeah. career, and, and so and so his argument that I yeah. mean his argument is basically well what I'm going to do is going to help everyone, including right minorities, and that's just that, that's just not going to do it. That's not going to be convincing enough, especially since the Black Democratic establishment is very very firmly behind Hillary Clinton. So and. And I will just – this is just one of those fun little asides where I get to point out the difference between sort of general Republican ideology and, and Democrat being the Democrat Party being sort of a coalition of interests uh, is, is yes, the, with Republicans there is sort of a general idea of, look, you subscribe to this philosophy and uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Um, but the, the Democratic Party has been for some 40, 50 years – Again, this sort of coalition of these various groups that sometimes have the same interest and sometimes they don't. And uh, that's why when you have a guy who is ideological like Sanders, uh, it doesn't necessarily translate to all elements of the party. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Every <laughs> once in a while, I can I can admit that absolutely. You know, uh, we we're we're running. Not surprisingly, there's been so much that's happened this week. We're running a little short on time, but there is one final piece of campaign news that I I, or, I understand there is a new candidate who is there, it, this is this is yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. You might have heard Jim Gilmore dropped out of the race. Yes. Jim, Jim everyone's saying Jim who? Uh, he he was actually a Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. He averaged about zero percent in the polls for well essentially for forever, you know, and, and, and I'm feeling the loss. And I was, I was starting to think about how the field is narrowing and I was starting to feel about, think about how little I 
little enthusiasm I feel for really any of these candidates. I, I can't recall ever being less enthusiastic about a, a, about a presidential field in my lifetime. Right. And so after giving it considerable thought, I, I've made a big decision, Jay. What is that decision? Today, right here, right now on this show, I am declaring my candidacy for the office of the President of the United States of America. Wow. I have, I, this is, I filed my <clears throat> FEC Form 2, Statement of Candidacy, and I've been designated candidate P6001975. Okay. I have the designation. I am, in fact, the 1,559th person to declare a presidential candidacy for 2016. Okay. And anyone who's interested in seeing those candidates, you can look it up. If you search for FEC Form 2 filers on Google, it'll pop right up there. Uh, promise complete transparency in this campaign. Well, here's my promise. <laughs> my promise is, my fellow Americans, I will neither accept nor spend any money in pursuit of the presidency. This is going to have to be viral. Uh, I, I've done some research, okay? So this is, it, it's possible, Jay. Here's how it's going to work. Now, okay. unfortunately, because I'm, I pledge to not spend any money, this, this presents me with a problem right away because there are only eight states where write-in votes are counted if you don't actually file forms with those states with cost, with, that cost money for filing fields. Like, for oh, instance... Yeah. In Ohio, I can't. I can vote for myself, but my vote won't be counted unless I file a form with the state and pay them one hundred twenty-five dollars. Well, that's, that's just man, ridiculous. That's how the man gets you. And, you know exactly. That's how the man keeps you down. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are eight states that do not require this that will count write-in votes for me, and I want to mention those states: Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. New Jersey, Mississippi, Iowa, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. Now, now, Jay, that's a total of 64 electoral votes. Okay. So here's the thing. My plan, it's an exponential strategy, okay? There's got to be at least one politics guy's listener in each of these states. And all I'm asking you, listeners, get two other people to support me. And if each of those two people gets two people, well, you see where that goes, right? Right. And right. so here's I, my I, plan. I'm going to have like a pyramid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, maybe we should rephrase that. But my plan is to keep either of the major party candidates from getting 270 electoral votes. That throws the election into the House. And at that point, the groundswell of popular support, I think, is going to compel the House to select me. OK, I, I mean, I think I, I think it's a solid plan. Well, we will we will see how that plays out. I, I, you're not you're not going to be in any of the primaries at this point. Right? I, I am not. I'm not even the undercards. I don't do undercards anymore. But I certainly will. You know, I certainly will update our listeners with my views on these things. But I just wanted to mention I'm I'm out there. And now my goal that's that's my primary goal. I'm, I'm in it to win it, of course. But <laughs> right. There are certain candidates I'm hoping to do better than. For instance, um, candidate P six zero zero one nine four two nine, aka. AKA Weed, Dank Ass, uh, who is ah. running. Yeah, Dank Ass Weed is running as an independent candidate. I, I'd like to think that I can do better than Dank Ass Weed or candidate P6. I think it wasn't. He, well, he was like a county recorder somewhere. Yeah, else, you know, right? I think so. Yeah. That's not some prior experience. But. I'd also like to do better than D23, the Megatron, who's running. Okay. Uh, though I do not think I'm going to do much better than God. God, right. in fact, is running as candidate P6001759. And as you would expect, what party is God running as a candidate of? 
Well, I'd hope he's running as Republican. You are exactly right. So yeah. God only filed a few. God only filed the day before I did. But I think really he's going to be able to get the word out. He's got a good network in place. Exactly. So, you know, there are a few advantages. But <clears throat> anyway, we'll keep you up to date on my candidacy. Uh, it should be an exciting time. I, I know I'm looking forward to, to serving you as, as your – would be the 45th president, I guess. So, you know. But anyway. Well, and, and I just I – just, you know, if you have Supreme Court picks, uh, I, I do in fact law degree and, uh, you know – have clerked for the federal uh, court system, and um, you know I could I could probably handle that. that I'd be did, good at Secretary of State too. I think that did come up. Yeah, you know I was actually thinking <clears> along those lines. So. All right, well I'll keep that in mind, Jay. If if you're interested in serving, please you know send send resumes my way, and I will consider you. So all right, well that's it for this week's episode, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys podcast, which comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week, and where you can comment, too, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. Check it out, and you can also send us a message through the Facebook page and uh, give us a like if you like the page. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.